Welcome back to the DHF Podcast. I'm Scott McMay, pastor of Laplate Christian Church and a board member with DHF, which is a ministry to uh, churches and leaders. Um, and with me this afternoon is Sam Sears, co-host. Hey, Scott, I see you're having a fun time in the wood shop, it looks like. so Yeah, absolutely. It picks up good Wi-Fi, so That's yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, Scott is a woodworker, and it's one of his hobbies. He's he got a, a video he shared with some of us on the DHF board one time of him like trimming a tree inside his house after it was oh, already yeah. put up. So uh, I don't know if we can find that video and include it in the show notes or something. That'd be kind of neat. Uh, sure but <laughs> forgive me for picking on my co-host. But yes, as Scott said, I'm Sam Sears. I'm pastor at the Fountain Christian Church in Visalia, California. I'm also a DHF board member. And so we're thankful to have you guys here. And with us is my friend, Rana Swanson. Rana, could you introduce yourself? Hi. <laughs> what do you want to know? I am Rana Swanson. Well, Rana, you are, uh, you have shared devotionals. You've written a few books. You've read some, uh, led some small groups. You, are, uh, you represent us on a, a local ministry, or at least our church here at a local ministry that we have focusing on senior housing. You have done a lot of stuff ministry-wise, and we really appreciate that. But the main thing we have uh, you here for today is this book and the experience that you had several, over a decade ago now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just that process that you went through, because the reality is, is leaders go through it too. And our podcast is primarily to pastors, elders, church staff, things like that. And I think we could learn from the way you process this. So could you tell us about More Than Measured? Yeah. Um, so the book More Than Can Be Measured, is a, it was a tagline that my daughter and I, she's my youngest daughter, um, when she was a little girl, she would ask me, how much do you love me, mommy? And it would be to the moon, bigger than a mountain, wider than the ocean. So all these different things. And of course, it was all bigger than that. And we finally came to the place that I could answer her that made sense to both of us. And it, and it went on into adulthood um, where, you know, how much do you love me more than could be measured, more than can even be measured. And um, so my youngest daughter um, was about to graduate very triumphantly from uh, college with a double degree and then was going to pursue her major in England. Um, and she was on her way home from her job at Borders Bookstore to her dorm at Fresno Pacific, and she had an auto accident that um, to this day is really hard to explain, but we didn't find out about it until the early morning hours of January the 14th when a police officer came to our home and um, informed us that she had had an auto accident and she did not survive. So from that moment, hearing that news, the I could feel the blood in my ears. I don't know if you've ever had those moments of extreme stress where the blood in your ears, but it felt like it was a couple birds trying to flutter out and just fly away. And from that moment, I knew that the only hope, 
that I had was was God. I knew that the only hope that I had to survive that kind of pain, that kind of loss, was God, and that it would have to be, he would have to step in, because um, that was such a shattering loss, such a sudden and unforeseen um, agony for all of us, that if God didn't step in, we were in big trouble. But of course, the good news is God steps in. <laughs> and he, he does. He steps in and he helps us when we think we can't breathe, when we think we can't function, when we think we can't move. He helps to animate us and get us through things that we cannot conceive how we would. But that's okay, because we don't even have to figure it all out. It is his ever-present help in our times of trouble that makes all the difference in the world. So um, he, he arrived. He, there were times that I would just be on the floor in prayer, um, praying, you know, help me to get through this, help me to get through this. And his presence was so near and so real. It felt like I could almost feel him <laughs> at my ear, whispering in my ear, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. And, and reminding me again and again that scripture says, we do not grieve as those without hope. But it doesn't say we don't grieve. We grieve. So people would tell me, don't cry. And of course, I was not making... Um, so my heritage is, is um, Swedish, and we tend to be very stoic. So I wasn't making a scene in front of everyone in public. I wasn't um, boo-hooing <laughs> and asking everybody to join in. But people would say, don't cry, don't cry. And... And I told them, um, yeah, well, if I don't cry, I'll explode. I won't, I won't make you suffer through it. I won't let you, you know, I won't make you uncomfortable, but I must cry. But I said, you want to know my favorite verse in the Bible right now? It's Jesus wept. Jesus wept outside of the tomb of Lazarus. And he knew he was going to call Lazarus his name. And he knew Lazarus was going to step right on out. But he looked at Mary and Martha and he realized the, the anguish that death brings, and he entered fully into it with them. He didn't tell them, oh, pull it together, knock it off. I am the resurrection and the life. It's all good. He didn't do that, and he, and he doesn't do that with us when we go through these times of grief. He doesn't come and kick us while we're down. He says, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I understand. I do, but we do not grieve as those without hope. We do not. Um, I kept thinking of the verse that says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. But I also honed in on that word, well acquainted. Um, we all know what acquaintances are. They aren't our best buddies. We are acquainted. In other words, we have come in contact with someone. And if we live long enough, we are going to become acquainted with grief. We are. But I think the tragic mistake 
is that people invite grief in for tea every day and sit down and let grief absolutely overwhelm them. So when I looked out over the ocean of grief that I was feeling, I knew that I could swim out in it and I would probably drown there. But I also knew I had to tolerate it. So I had to kind of walk along the shoreline and sometimes waves hit me and sometimes I got really wet <laughs> with the grief that would roll over me. But, but I was trusting that the Lord would hold on to me and not let me get pulled out in some sort of a riptide, that he would hold on to me and not let me drown there because it was, there's something very tempting about grief that almost makes you want to just go ahead and, and um, drown in it. And we are not called to do that. So I felt like the Lord said to me, look, her race is over. Her race is complete. <laughs> but yours isn't. So you have to continue on. You must continue on. And I, no, I whined. I, I took all my whines and all my gripes and all my complaints straight to the Lord. And he was the one who would straighten me back out again. Um, but I've thought about it a lot. And I've, the reason why I wrote the book is because so many people have asked me, how in the world did you, how in the world did you deal with that? I mean, how, how did you deal with that loss? There were people who knew us both very well and had spent a lot of time together with the two of us. And so they were convinced that I would just disintegrate into dust because I loved her so much and she was such a rich and vibrant part of my life that they were convinced, you know, it's all over for Rana. She will never be the same again, ever. And I kind of wondered that too, <laughs> honestly. And when you say both of us, do you mean you and Rebecca? Yes. Or do you mean you and Sam? I was going to... No, the Rebecca and I, we were so close. We were so close. Um, she was like my little shadow um, from the time she was little to as a, as an adult, you know, 21 year old woman, we did whatever we could, whenever we could together and had a blast. So um, people who knew our relationship and the depth of it thought that it would just destroy me. Um, so people came and said, don't get on drugs. And I said, like a robot, I will not get on drugs. And they said, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I know people who've gone through the loss of a loved one and they got on drugs. And then they came and said to Sam and I, don't get divorced. And <laughs> we said, we're not going to get divorced. And they said, no, I, I've, I know people who have had the loss of a child and they, they, their, their marriage is done. And, and Sam said, listen, we are both clinging so tight to the Lord. <laughs> we are just trusting that he's going to get us through this. That is our hope. That is our hope in this, um, that he will somehow manage us well enough that we can get through this. Um, one of the really sweet things that Sam would do for me, because he does not cook. <laughs> 
And so while I was trying to prepare meals in that very handicapped state, um, he got out the message Bible and he would just read. We would just read. He'd just read to me. And there were times when I would, on the weekends, when I didn't have to be doing anything, I'd just lay on the floor in the living room and he would read and we'd both cry. You know, we'd just both cry because it was so sweet and so tender. So, so yes, the Lord held us together. But, you know, I was thinking about that. And I did know the Lord. I did know the Lord. So I did know how to go to him. I did know how to invite him into those moments of extreme pain and extreme sorrow. I was thinking about, you know, when, um, when David showed up on the scene with his brothers and Goliath has been taunting and taunting and taunting the armies of Israel for 40 days. And David shows up on the scene and it's this kid, this runt of a kid, and his brothers are kind of disgusted because he opens his big mouth and he says, "What? It, why isn't somebody doing something about this uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, what's going on here? Why didn't somebody take care of that guy? And they're saying, shut up and go back to your sheep. And But they, somebody heard about it. They took him in front of Saul. And so he said, what are you thinking? You cannot go up against Goliath. And David said, oh, well, when I've been out watching my sheep, I there was a lion and there was a bear. And I went after them and I took my sheep out of their mouth. And when they turned on me, I, I took them and killed them. So this uncircumcised Philistine, he doesn't have a chance. And <laughs> the audacity of that, I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty funny. I mean, it, 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 it would make for a great movie. Um, because the, here's this run of a kid saying, you don't get it. This is not about me. This, this is not about me. This is about Goliath bad-mouthing our God. So whoever goes up against him, he's, he's, he's dust. He can't stand. It's not going to happen. So David got it. He got it because he knew where his strength came from. And so when the horrific news arrived at our door, we knew where our strength came from. And it wasn't about the giant. It was about the God who would see us through it. And, um, and I, so scripture came alive, you know, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It isn't about us. It's about who he is in us, alive and living and, and walking us through these moments that feel like, yeah, if, if I had been on my own, uh, people would say, oh, you're doing so good. And I would say, um, if you could see me, how I am in reality emotionally, I would be in a body cast drinking through a straw. I am not doing so good, but God is so good. God is so good and has put me back on my feet and animated me enough so that I can function. And 
and promised me that he will see me through and that there is more to do. So on we go, leaning on him every step of the way. That's, that's how we did it. Um, Once you had said there was almost this expectation that you would fall apart and you'd shared with me some thoughts on that about why Christians kind of even approach each other when there's a tragedy with that kind of, oh no, they're going to fall apart. Yeah, well, Sam and I went to a very, like a, a mega church. Um, and so we were asked, it was a few weeks after, maybe a couple months, but we were asked for three services <laughs> to have three chairs put up on the stage. And then the pastor just asked us questions. And this was not um, planned. We didn't know what we were going to be asked. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was just going to be a dialogue. That was going to be the service. So Sam and I <laughs> sat up on this stage at a table with, with three chairs. And the pastor was asking us, you know, how did you guys live through this? And how did you get through it? And, you know, Sam said, well, Rana grabbed a hold of the Lord and I grabbed a hold of the Lord. And he's been carrying us ever since, you know. And, and what was really shocking to me is that the pastor said in front of everybody, yeah, we were just all sitting around waiting for you guys to fall apart. We thought you'd really need, you know, deep, deep counseling. And I thought, well, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. <laughs> oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, okay, do we believe what he said that he will hold us together? I mean, do we have confidence that God is able to put us on our feet? Do we have confidence that in every trial, he will make us strong? Do, do we have confidence that whatever happens, he's in it with us? Do we have confidence for that? I, because, um, yeah, his grace is sufficient. It may not feel like everything we need in the moment it may not feel like i mean we may want way more you know we we may want superhero grace so that we da da da, da you know but but it is it is enough it is enough for today and then it'll be enough for tomorrow and then it'll be enough and sometimes it is enough just moment by moment and that's it leaning and i mean crawling I mean there were times when the best I could do was crawl in moving forward there was no there was no um, energetic pace to anything I was doing it was a crawl forward um, but I will say and it's something I don't want to be gross I, I don't want to be gross here but in the very most raw place in my life where emotionally I was so raw. It felt like I had had the skin stripped off of me. I was so raw. <laughs> but if we can crawl to the foot of the cross, it was almost, at least in my mind, because I always visualize everything, at least in my mind, it was like a transfusion because I was so raw. It was like, 
a transfusion of the blood of Jesus into me that said, I will strengthen you. I will revive you. I will uphold you with my strong right arm. This isn't about you, sweetheart. I'm here. You don't have to you don't have to be brave enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be, you know, going through that kind of stunning loss is like having a brain injury. It it really does scramble you. I mean, I have had concussions in my life. I know what that's like to be severely concussed. And that was the sensation of not being able to think straight or to hold thoughts in your mind very long. Um, but it didn't matter because he was right there. He was right there holding it together and, and keeping it together. And there were so many things. The night that Rebecca died, which of course I didn't know it was the night that Rebecca was going to die. But that day I had written a, a commentary or a, yeah, a commentary for the paper. They asked me if I would write something because Martin Luther King Jr. Day was coming up. And I'd written a commentary about Martin Luther King Jr. And the portion of scripture in Romans that it talks about suffering. And it talks about hope. But it's a very strange recipe God has for hope. Because it starts out with suffering. And then you endure. And then when you endure, you build character. And when you build character... That's where hope comes from. That's the end product, is enduring through suffering. The funny thing is, I sent that editorial to my daughter, Rebecca, and she read it. And her very last email to me on planet Earth, precisely 12 hours before she was going to depart, was, um, wow, mom, nobody ever wants to talk about suffering, but that is really an important point. So... It was like God was preaching to me, and I didn't even know it, <laughs> already preaching to me. That night when I was fixing dinner, from across the room, from a cupboard door that was not even open, a vase fell out from the top shelf of the cupboard, hit midway on the edge of the counter, and then descended to the floor. It broke in two, descended to the floor, and shattered into a gazillion pieces. And I spent a very, very, very long time cleaning up all that shattered glass. It wasn't until much, much later, <clears throat> much, much later, when I was reading the accident report, because Rebecca's car left the tier of an upper tier freeway, hit another freeway midway, and her car broke in two and then descended in two pieces to the ground. No one else was harmed. No one else was injured. But I had the shocking and stunning realization that God knew. God knew before it happened. God knew and was actually, in a way, telling me about it. But, of course, I couldn't even perceive what that was all about, except that I had a broken vase. But in that imagery, he made me realize that he knew where every shard had shattered, where 
every bit had flown and that he would gather it all and restore it, every bit. And so it was such a, I mean, I'm so glad God knows, knows me so well. He knows that I need imagery, so he gave it to me. And then he, he revealed as we went forward through the process um, that he did know. And I had to come to the terrible conclusion that the scripture that says he gives and takes away is reality. And I had to come to the terrible conclusion that nothing touches us that he doesn't sign off on. And I had to come to the terrible conclusion that some of the things that happen in our lives that we hate so much, he's going to work it out for something beautiful if we'll let him, which is very hard. That's a very, very hard truth to embrace. Um, my siblings flew out for the service for Rebecca, and then the next day, we didn't fill up to a large worship service. So we had a worship service in our living room and it was very tender and very sweet. And um, when we got done, then my, my sister and my sister-in-laws were in the kitchen putting together a meal and we were just kind of sitting in the living room and my oldest brother, my brother who always wants to protect me, <laughs> always wants to shield me came and stood in front of me and he said, he said, I just don't understand it. You are so good. And I was like a jack in the box. It wasn't anything I thought. It just, I just stood to my feet immediately, kind of, <laughs> kind of stepped back a little bit. And I said, don't say that. Don't say that because I'm not so good. And it isn't whether we're good or bad, that these things come into our lives, these things happen because we live on a very broken planet. Don't say that. Don't equate a bad thing with disfavor from God. Don't do that. That's so wrong. Don't. Don't. Let's you and I both say God is good. Let's you and I both agree that God is good. And Rebecca's not here, and it, my heart is broken. But God is still good. He's still good. And people would ask me, are you angry with God? And I would say, how can I be angry with the only hope I have, with the only possible help that I have? How can I be angry with my only hope on planet Earth? No, I'm not angry. I'm confused. I don't understand, but bit by bit, tiny bit by tiny bit, he is helping me come to peace, bit by tiny bit. And I know I'll never fully understand it all. That's okay. He does not have to answer to me. He does not. I just need to be near him. And hanging out with him. So, but one final little bit. When I did see the accident report, it was months in coming because the the 
investigation into it, you know. <laughs> so they did an autopsy. They checked for drugs. They checked for alcohol. They, you know, just all the stuff. And the sweet investigating officer was a woman who had lost a daughter. Is God good or what? I mean, so tender, so sweet. But she mailed me the accident report, and it was this big, thick envelope. And I waited until Sam was gone to worship rehearsal to even open it, to even be brave enough to look at it. And I read through it, and my head was spinning because because of the incredible um, violence of the what occurred. I mean, it was just a, a terrible, terrible accident. But then I marveled that um, that no one else was hurt, no one else was harmed. And I got in the shower because I felt like my, you know, I my heart had kept beating, my head didn't explode. That was good, <laughs> but I was still a bit overwhelmed. So I turned on the hot shower as hot as I could stand it, and I was just standing in it under the hot water, and just overwhelmed with what I had read. I didn't know there were witnesses. I didn't know, you know, I wanted to get on the phone and call them and tell them, you know, tell me what you tell me, tell me. I mean, you know, there are these desperate. There are these desperate um, longings to know every detail of everything, and we just can't. So I got in the shower to just kind of calm myself down, and I was there, eyes closed, and I felt the Lord whisper to my heart and say, okay, you've read the, the accident report. Would you like to hear mine? And I said, yes, Lord. And this little movie ran in my head and I could see her car approaching the on-ramp to the freeway and heading to that upper tier. And then I could see her car leave that upper tier and hit the other freeway midway. But as the car, well, I, I missed something that I need to go back to. When her car entered that on-ramp, it lit up like like a football stadium and there were angels all around assembled when her car left the freeway and hit that middle freeway and broke in two there was an angel beside the door holding out his hand and she stepped out of that car as it de descended in wreckage with this surprised look on her face like like a princess stepping from her carriage like cinderella at the ball with this surprised like whoa look on her face and then the angels flew off and it was dark and the car descended and he said that's my accident report that's the one I want you to keep with you because she didn't die alone which was the thing that haunted my mommy's heart so badly that my baby died alone on a darkened freeway she did not die alone. She was greeted and welcomed and carried away. So I said to myself, okay, I will never see her cry another tear again. I will never see her suffer illness. I will never see, I will never risk um, being a real jerk if somebody ever mistreated her. So 
she is safe home and I will join her one day. But God is so good. He did those very sweet and very personal things to walk me through what to many people seemed like the end of me. And what you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the end of me. Rana, I appreciate the rawness of that. Uh, just not only have we heard some of that biblical knowledge before, or the awareness of spiritual um, the realm around us and all those things, but you didn't just hear it. You lived through it and trusted in it. And I really appreciate it. And you didn't sugarcoat it, said it was raw. And so I, if someone's listening, who's going to go through it or is going through it, you know, that's a reality to face that it is hard. But I appreciate your persistence and even that crawling line. You said you had to crawl. As somebody who is a pastor, I, I have sometimes thought about that, those pastor's words to you. Um, it is so easy for us to look around and see the people not handling it well and get bitter. And on one hand, I think this is an example for how to handle it well. And, and God gave you that and God equipped you with that. But what, what can we as pastors say that might better equip and affirm living things out in a proper manner as opposed to betray some cynicism on our part? Um, well, I said, and I mean it, I had fought a lion and a bear before I had to face the death of Rebecca. Um, there were things that happened before in my life that had driven me straight to the arms of Jesus. So I knew his voice. I knew his comfort. I knew his guidance. So my prayer is for those who, who don't draw near when they can. You know, it says draw near to the Lord. Um, draw near while you can. Life is going to punch you in the gut. <laughs> Our only hope in those moments is to know him and to trust him. But if we, I just, it makes me sad for people who don't know him. The good news is I've had the opportunity to introduce people to him because of this, to introduce people to the fact that he is so personal and he wants to be personal with us, not just some go to church, hear a sermon, go home and live your life. Um, but he wants to be personal in our daily lives. He wants to be the first call we make. Um, so, um, he, he wants to be the first call, not the, okay, I've run out of every resource, so now I think I'll actually pray. Um, he wants to be the first call, uh, not the last resort. And so it, it behooves us to get in a habit of making him be the first call because then it becomes such a habit that when something like that 
happens when out of nowhere a, a, a real tragic event or a, a trauma occurs, you know exactly where to go. You know exactly who to lean on. And you know that help is right there. You don't have to wait for someone to show up. He is there in the moment. Um, that's, the, that's the message that I would want pastors to take <laughs> to the people that they're pastoring is that, you know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. And that's my biggest concern. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. That's my biggest concern for the church. Do we know his voice? Are we listening? Does he have a say in our daily decisions? Does he have a say in our daily choices of whatever we're doing? Does he have a say? Are we letting him have a say? Because if we are, then there's a relationship there. And he longs for it. And he longs for it so that we will know him. So that we will know where to go to find the kind of help that is really help. Instead of, instead of the um, surface stuff, you know, we, the people who were saying don't, don't get on drugs, they were saying, you know, they've seen people do the surface stuff. Um, whether it's, you know, a drug that will help you not be anxious or, or alcohol or whatever you run to. Ever, you know, anytime we experience pain, we run. We all do. Human beings run. <laughs> when you're in pain, you just want the pain to stop. You just do. And we all have different um, methods of running. But I pray that we'll learn to run straight to him. It's the only safe place. All the other running will just end up tired. <laughs> and probably in a worse locale than when we started. But if we run to him... It's all good. It may sound like an odd verse to go to, but when I think about processing grief, I always think of Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because so often it is a decision before the incident that causes the grief that can anchor you in Jesus to allow you to process and go through it. And so getting people connected with Jesus now can help them in that grief in the future. And you know, something I know we've talked about, Rana, and, and I, I would go, if we had more time, I would, I would dig into this more, but there are folks that when they go through it, rather than bring it to Jesus, they keep holding on to it and they just can't let it go. And it can take so long in their life. And I don't know, we both know these people and I have not lost a child. I did lose a mom and, and I've, I've seen people just hold on and they can't move past you got to lay it at the feet of Jesus. I really appreciate you saying that your life was not over because I think some folks, they need to remember that as they're experiencing it, especially for Christians. We, we have more to do. God's got us still here for something. I really resonate with your um, assessment. Unfortunately, the church isn't ready for moments like these and people don't deal with pain well because our version of salvation is Jesus has to deal with the cross and we don't have to. 
Um, it's this resurrection without suffering. And that is a distortion of the good news. And I think that means when bad things happen, man, we set the bar low for anyone. Like, oh, I just expected everything to fall apart for you. And I, um, what's one thing for church people to not do to a person in grief? Oh, um, <laughs> so when, um, so Sam, my husband and I looked at each other and said, doesn't matter what people say, smile and say, thank you for your concern. Thank you for your concern. Because for somebody to um, approach someone who's gone through loss takes a whole lot of courage. So people said the most ridiculous things. It was, it was amazing. Um, some of the things that people said. And so we just would say, thank you for your concern. But for pastors, um, I think the most important thing would be for you to take them by the hand and take them before the throne of God and say, let me pray for you. Is it okay if I pray for you? Lead them right to where help is. And then ask God to enter in to the pain. People standing next to someone that's grieving get so uncomfortable that they think what they have to do in that moment is explain why. And man, that's the most cringy moments in the church. When if just being with uh, in the moment of grief, praying in the midst of a moment of grief is so much better. Inviting God into it rather than feeling like I got to take my hack at why this happened and why bad stuff happens. Like, oh, this is not the time or the place. And I had a cousin that uh, was killed in a car accident on a bike um, in his 20s. And uh, they let some people speak from the floor and it was kind of brutal. Um, some of the ideas that were just floated out and uh, this is not the time and place for that. Like, um, and poorly enough, we don't have a good reason. Then we just kind of leave and then we avoid instead of seeking out standing with uh, the church should be about solidarity in these moments. And we dare often do any better than the world. You know, as you were saying that, Scott, I certainly have seen it. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe next time I see it, if I've seen somebody struggling with the whys, some of those folks don't go to church or they don't have deep theology. Maybe that's an opportunity to say, I see you struggling with this. Maybe this isn't the place to figure it out. Why don't we come together? Why don't we come to a study? Why don't, why don't we look at this together so that you can have a deeper answer? Absolutely. I have some compassion for them because I, I feel like as church attendance has dropped in the United States, that is the moment some of them are figuring it out and they're deer in the headlights and those sharing moments. So yes, compassion for the person. But then when I hear some of those ideas, I also go, Oh, this is not helping. This yeah. is causing more hurt. Yeah. 
And so then I also have compassion for those, you know, other people, the family in the pews, just you can see the faces turn, which is why silence or prayer is usually is usually the best. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rana. Uh, maybe we'll yeah. have you on again. I know you've written some other books, but I, I found when you've shared this very, to be very helpful to me. And I just wanted to help connect other people with that. And if you would like to learn more and you're listening to us or watching uh, us on YouTube, in our description and our notes, we'll put a link to where you can access Rana's book. Um, it's for sale on Amazon. There's a couple of others as well. And you might benefit from it. Man, absolutely. And Rana's so. not here for the book sales, okay? I, yeah. I know that's the truth. <laughs> but I think you would benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can find out more about DHF over at discipleheritage.org. And uh, feel free to leave a comment um, and let us know what you think. And we'll catch you next time on the podcast. <laughs>